Hi, welcome to the seventh episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. In this week's episode, we will discuss the beating death of a pro surfer by a gang of self-professed bandits. Hey guys, thanks for listening to last week's episode where we discussed the stalking and murder of a 26-year-old office worker on her lunch break in Plainsboro, New Jersey. Our podcast is not recommended for children. This will be a little graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters so much. So, Cindy, how's it going? I see you have on your drinking shirt. <laughs> yes, I have my day drinking shirt on. It's my uh, favorite shirt. Well, we'll be maybe uh, <laughs> sharing a glass of wine here soon, right? You yes, know. I think that sometimes um, that's the... It makes makes the world go round. It helps us helps us get through some of the graphic details, huh? Yes, yeah. most definitely. And um, yeah. Okay. Well, you know my mo. So I don't like to do podcasts that have already been done. I want to be, you know, uh, new, unique. And so I decided I'm going to put in another random keyword search. I want to do a different region of the country, so I put in California surfer murder. And believe it or not, I got a few hits. Um, but one really drew my interest. It was a murder of a pro surfer in La Jolla, California. So this week we are going to reveal the murder of Emery Kawanui Jr., otherwise known as the Flying Hawaiian and Junior Boy. And he was murdered by the Bird Rock Bandits. So as far as I know, I couldn't find a podcast on Emery, um, but I did find that Dateline NBC had aired an episode in 2010. When I went to listen to it, though, it wouldn't come up. So I don't know if it's archived or if I have to pay for it, which I wasn't going to do. But um, I did find a transcript that I'm going to be referring to for some of the information. But if anybody out there can find information on uh, or at least view this, let me know how you did it. I'd love to know. I have a question about bandits. Yes. Like, what, what like is how do you classify yourself as a bandit? Yeah, I don't know. When I think of bandits, I think of, like the old west and yeah. like you know, bandanas like a bandana. Yeah. Like, what, what was that Burt Reynolds movie? I know it's like I'm aging myself here, but something oh, about awesome. bandits. Oh wait, something on the oh, gosh, what was the name of that movie? My husband oh, would know. Oh, I don't know. My husband would know too. <sighs> yeah. Uh, whatever. Okay, so as I said, this this takes place in California and La Jolla, and I decided to do it. I've been to La Jolla. I was there in 2016. It's a very posh, upscale neighborhood in San Diego. It's a beautiful place. Like so is it a neighborhood or a city? It's it's kind of like they consider it like an, an, a part of San Diego. So it has its own, like, Does it have it? I'm not real sure how it works, but the San Diego police go to La Jolla. Okay. So... They Maybe don't it's have like their a suburb, just a small suburb. It's, but... Yeah, just at a neighborhood is what I found. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So their address is probably San Diego, not La Jolla. Yeah, I don't know. I think it probably is La Jolla, but I don't know how okay. they would, you know, classify the difference. San Diego is humongous, and there are a lot mm-hmm. of little areas within yes, little Yes, there's like Ocean bit. Springs yeah. and, you know, where Camp Pendleton is. Yeah. Um, is Camp Pendleton there? I know that. It's uh, near San Diego, okay. yes. Yeah. Okay. So when well, my son was there, he was, he was um, in the Navy. That's, anyway, where John, yeah. that's where my husband was. Okay. It's a beautiful place. Um, 
this is a Thai place. You go to the beach. There are seals all over. Like the first time I've seen like wild seals outside of a zoo, just hanging out on the beach. Yeah, that would um, be kind of yeah. crazy. And you kind of like it says, beware of the seals. You know, you're at your risk. But um, huge cliffs, like these waves crashing into the cliffs. And there's a park nearby. It's just a beautiful place. Um, the town itself, like if you live there, you if you're lucky, most people have a view of, you know, the surrounding area. It's high up on a cliff. And a lot of um, posh little cafes and places like that. Sounds like a nice place to live. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the cheapest home I could find there, one bedroom, one bath, was just shy of a million dollars. Holy yeah. shit. Um, <laughs> now. Yes, I see. I, I Googled it. I'm sorry. Okay. La Jolla is a seaside community within the city of San Diego. Okay, yeah. So I don't know if there's, they're, I don't know if they would put La Jolla, California on their return address labels. I don't know. Needless to say, if you can afford to live here, you're very successful and or you're independently wealthy because it's not for the common middle class person. Now, when I was there, we actually drove around the neighborhood a little bit to get back to the interstate. And, and you know, like it was right when the kids were getting out, we passed by the high school. I mean, you know, it's just like the typical healthy, wealthy California look on a lot of these kids. It's kind of interesting. Uh, now there there's a huge surfing population there because uh, there's a lot of decent surfing there but there's one local beach called the wind and sea that according to the new york times is one of the clickiest most protected beaches in the area like it's locals only right wow yeah not because of the sea life but because of the right because of the, the surf and it's just their beach right okay. um which where we live People try to privatize the beach right. and say, this yeah. is private property. It's, you can't come on, you know. Right. It's definitely not a strictly La Jolla thing. It's it's any beach place. And I actually looked at, like, surfer gangs and um, during this. And I know one of the one of the gangs that stood out to me that, that has a very violent reputation is from Hawaii um, on the North Shore, which is, like, has the best surfing. And yes. It was revealed through, like, contests and surfer magazines. So all these people from all over the world were flocking to North Shore. And the locals were like, dudes, this is our place. So, you know, once the police got involved, it really gave a bad reputation for local surfing communities. And same with La Jolla. Now, needless to say, many of the guys that are in these gangs are, you know, your, your teen to 20, 30-somethings. And they're usually quick to fight, quick to anger at the slightest provocation. So, um... In La Jolla, one of the groups that were most notorious for starting trouble called themselves the Bird Rock Bandits. And most people who knew them, if they saw them coming, they, like, dodge. You know, they, like, would turn the corner or leave, um, try not to make eye contact. These guys were, you know, uh, bullies, maybe? It's territorial. Yeah. Well, and these guys weren't surfers, either. They were more, like, football jocks. Which is kind of weird, yeah. but I guess, you know, well, and I think that... <laughs> Wherever you're from, there's like that place, especially when you're in high school, because this is quite high school behavior. Yeah. Meet me at the back of such and such neighborhood. Right. You know, because yeah. I know Absolutely. where we live, there's a couple of places that right. say, you meet me back, meet me in the back of college right. point, man. Right. That type of thing. Um, now, this group called themselves the Bird Rock Bandits, and I looked up Bird Rock Bandits. Like, I don't know where they got bandits from, but Bird Rock, according to a La Jolla travel site, is a neighborhood... Uh, a unique neighborhood in a much-loved pocket of the city nestled on the south side of town, filled with hidden ocean lookout points, great cafes, and highly acclaimed schools. So 
it is just an area of La Jolla, but I also read it's kind of like the, like, kind of a little bit more of the rundown area. If there is such a thing in La Jolla. Okay. No. So they're from the other side of the tracks. Of La Jolla. Of La Jolla. Right. So they is, probably still have more money than us. Right. But, yeah. you, know, they're, right. you know, they might not be. Um, you know. Now, the Bird Rock Bandits grew up together. Like, they um, played football. They hung out in the summer times. They pretty much terrorized La Jolla beaches. And they weren't big surfers. Um, they were more like, let's go to the beach and get drunk, get rowdy, start fights. One person said that the Bird Rock Bandits were all a bunch of worthless punks. Their blight on an otherwise awesome beach during the summer. A bunch of young, drunk morons trying to ruin <laughs> other people's good times. Oh, coffee's done. Coffee's ready. <laughs> uh, now, the Bird Rock Bandits was made up of five young men. Eric House, Hank Hendricks, Matt Yankee, Orlando Orsuna, and Seth Cravens. And I'll be talking about these guys throughout. Um... And the Wednesday before Memorial Weekend in 2007, which is, you know, Memorial Weekend's a huge party time at any beach community. Yeah. Um, these guys were ready to party. And um, Hank Hendricks was the only one of the five who got out of town. He actually was a backup quarterback for the University of New Hampshire, and he was in town from college. So the guys had planned to go out. Now, they had been banned a couple weeks before from one of the local places called the Shack bar and grill or something like that and um so they needed to go someplace where there was a lax id check because eric house was only 20 he wasn't old enough to drink but the rest of them were the rest of them were yes um they decided to go to a place called the brew house pub which had a lot a lax id checking policy but also that night there was um a huge promotional event for a surfer the radio station was there um you know, there was a DJ. It was just the happening place to be that night. Enter the Flying Hawaiian. Um, Emery Kawanui Jr. Um, moved to, he moved to La Jolla when he was about 12 years old, right around 11 or 12. He grew up in Hawaii. He, at the young age, um, was a surfer at a very young age, like two or three years old. When he started walking, he was on a surfboard. Now, in 1992, a Category 4 hurricane hit Hawaii, Hurricane Iniki, and they lost everything. The, fa- the mother had just divorced her husband, um, Emery Kawanui Sr. They had just gotten divorced. She was a single mom with three boys, and they lost everything, like everything. We know, we know, what, that's we know like. what that's like, right? <laughs> um, so with just the clothes that they had on their back, and getting help from like charity agencies they got plane tickets to go to to san diego and she had um, family there she was from california so they moved to san diego she ends up renting a place and gets an sba loan and she was a model before and so that's really what she knew so she decided to open up her own modeling agency and she um, rented a space above la jolla surf shop now if you think about 1992 and you think about fashion magazines i think of like Kate Moss and those like skinny heroin ravaged looks but um, Cindy Kawanui the mom her look was different she went for the healthy surfer look okay the California you know healthy surfer look and it took off quickly she got um, contracts from Guess, Versace, Roxy a lot of other surfing brands wow awesome she hit the mother load quite early on in the meantime her middle son, Emery, was um, on, a, on his own way to huge things. Like, he was a tall, lanky island kid. He earned the nickname the Flying Hawaiian because of his, 
the moves that he made. He took a lot of risks on these big, huge waves. And um, he got dubbed the Flying Hawaiian. People saw well, he had great potential. So he started getting a lot of sponsors and from surf shops and barge, uh, board shapers. And even the young, I mean, everybody loved him. Like they all wanted to be like him, even the little grommets. So what's a grommet? Um, it's like a little wannabe surfer kid. So that would be that's the that like the people we who surf little, here. Yeah, little kids are grommets, like grommets, young, okay. you know, the young kids who hang out. Okay, yeah, okay, little grommets. So I've never uh, heard that term before. You haven't? Uh-uh. Okay, I used to be a grommet. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now, his mom said that when they first came to Wind and Sea, okay, so so let me just back up for a minute because. Um, Emery was what they call goofy footed. Like he led with his left foot on the back of the board. And it's kind of like if you're left handed, they say that you lead with whatever hand you, whatever hand you use, you mm-hmm. lead with that foot. You're dominant. Yes. Okay. So not many people led with that foot. So he was able to get on like a certain left side of this wind and seat break, which was a big thing. Okay. Um, that's one of the reasons why he was seen as so risky because the way that it broke that way, like people, a lot of people were afraid. The wave? To, yes. Oh, okay. Were afraid to get on that break. But anyway, um, he, he, it was hard for him to be accepted until they realized how good he was. And a lot of people did accept them as a family into the community, but still a lot of people didn't. You know, the clicky, oh, well, you know, my kids have been together since preschool. Type. He might have been a scholarship kid type. Uh, type. Yeah. yeah maybe. You know, when you think of that, yeah, like, I mean, Exactly, but you know, she made her own money. Right, right. That's true, but she was an outsider. Yeah. So they, they thought, even though she was from right that area, she's from San Diego, right, or just California she was from, in general. I think that she was from San Diego, but moving into La Jolla and all that, like her kid was not fully accepted. Right. Um, now her youngest son was like he grew up with this gang of kids that we're talking because about. he was younger when they, yes. they got there. Yes. So okay. Okay, so um, a lot of people did claim him as a friend they said that he was he had a big heart he was had a positive nature um he loved every minute of life according to one of his sponsors is like he never cried about anything um he had soul to give now his bio on his myspace because we're talking about myspace <laughs> times here right did you have a myspace i did have a myspace okay. I, I don't th- i never had a myspace Okay, so this is his bio. He wrote this. He says, born and raised uh, Cowie, and I don't think I'm saying that right, Cowie, just looking at what's good in life here in Cali and keeping the strive and determination that I need to reach my goals. There are many lessons to be learned in life, and my passion is to travel the world surfing, seeking out these lessons through the people I meet. And I lost my space. And at the same time, learn how to adapt to their culture and lifestyle, leaving a good impression, not just through my surfing, but also through my personality. Now, he worked, he, he wasn't independently wealthy from surfing. He did work at a sushi restaurant. His mom said that after he traveled the world and had his pro surfing, he wanted to open a sushi restaurant, and he would serve his very own sushi creation, the Emery Roll. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Are Hawaiians known for sushi? Yeah, I think. Well, I know that my, my daughter-in-law, she's Japanese, and there are a lot of Japanese people. There are. And they a eat a lot of sushi so yeah. and there's lots of japanese in hawaii too yeah. so yeah other someone else said that he was a good guy he's funny and cocky and full of life he dreamed of starting an inner city charity teaching kids how to surf so a, a oh, pretty good awesome. guy yeah but not an angel okay not an angel he loved to party and he would not back down if confronted so he was quick to fight 
hothead yeah. a little bit. And that's kind of like, he kind of was raised that way with that Hawaiian way. You know, you come mm-hmm. on my beach, I'm not going to back down. Right. And well, his... and if they treated him like an outsider, he was probably already kind of defensive. Yeah. In general. Yeah, could be, definitely. Now, he was a surfer who took risks on and off the board. And he was aggressive and reckless on his board. But when he was drinking, he was like that on land, too. For example, in 2003, he was in Orlando at the Orlando World Center in Marriott, drinking poolside with a guy named Michael Penu. And Kawanui grabbed a beer from a duffel bag without asking, just grabbed it out of this guy's duffel bag. I would say no big deal, but the guy got pissed. Because if they were drinking together or... Yeah, it doesn't say whether they were friends or they had just met. Well, it does say that they had just met. But I guess he just took it upon himself and took a beer out of this guy's duffel bag. Okay. Which I'm guessing was full of ice. I don't know. The guy, by the way, was not 21. So he was not drinking legally. Anyway, Penyu asked him to put it back and Kawanui became enraged immediately. He punched Penyu in the face and then he took the beer bottle and hurled it at him, causing a four-inch gash above the left eye. Oh, wow. He was arrested and when the cops came, the guy was still bleeding. He pled guilty to felony assault, sentenced 18 months probation in order to make restitution. So he had to pay fines and pay for the guy's medical bills. So was it a felony because it was a weapon, essentially? A felony assault, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, he punched the guy and... And hit him with an object. Right. Okay. Now, he ended up going back to San San Diego. Uh, He did not learn his lesson there because within a year... He was arrested again because he violently grabbed another surfer by the throat, like twice. And he was arrested. He pled guilty to misdemeanor battery. That case had barely been resolved when Florida issued an arrest warrant accusing Kawanui of violating probation because he failed to pay his fines. Oh, they will do that to you. Yes, they will. I don't know from personal experience, but... Okay. You know, they I, will. I think yeah. any state would do that. Yes. So he's arrested in San Diego awaiting extradition for nearly a month. And his mom's like, you know, I have the money to bail him out. I have the money to bail him out easily. His fines were small, but she said he was out of control. And so she decided that with all the drinking and fighting that she's not gonna bail him out. She's not. So she let him sit in jail. She said it was his time to grow, his time to change. And it was very hard as a mom. As you know, it would be very difficult to let your kids sit in jail. Yes, yes. But at some point they have to learn their lesson. That's right. And he's 24 at this time, 23 or 24 when this is occurring. Um, Now, he might have been a little younger. I can't remember when this occurred, but it was, he was in his 20s. Um, She said that his experience was absolutely a turning point for her son because he vowed to be more responsible and ease back on his partying. So um, she felt confident on this at this time to go to Hawaii. He lived with his mom. And she had some business to do in Hawaii. She's like, oh, well, you know, he's better now. He's going to make responsible choices. No big deal. So she leaves no problem. As she should be allowed to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So now Emery had a girlfriend, on and off girlfriend. Um, he met her when she was when he was 17 and she was 14. And they had been dating Ooh. on and off. I know. Doesn't that seem rather young? Oh, not in my house. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Okay, so... Uh-uh, I, JB would not have that. No, yeah. no. Uh-uh. Nope. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> it's, it seems a huge difference. Like, she's 14, he's 17. Yeah, but okay, so let's say she's a freshman in high school and he's a junior. Yeah. It happens. Um, so, on that night, well, they... And I can't find... 
I'm finding conflicting information. Like some say that it was his girlfriend. Some say they were on and off again. At this point, they were off. But whatever the case, they had um, talked on the phone and decided to meet up at the Brew House Pub for that event. She had to work that night, so she didn't get there until about 11.30 p.m. And when she got there, he was already kind of buzzed, you know. But he was in a good mood. He was having right. fun. He was just trying to have a relaxing. Yeah. yeah. And there, and he's hanging out with friends. The bar is packed. There's a DJ. There, it's jamming. And they were hanging out with some of their friends. And then the Bird Rock, Bird Rock Bandits entered the bar. Okay. Okay. Great. I bet the whole... Yes. And they were wasted. Everything changed. Yeah. And they were wasted. And she knew it. And she's thinking to herself, yeah, this can't be good. But. um, Because we all know people like that. When they show up, you're like, oh, shit. Yes. That's right. It's time to go. Yeah. And she knew immediately, here comes trouble. She knew that she'd known these guys for years. She did greet them um, because, you know, she went to high school with them. They're all around the same age. But. I, I do want to say that they were captured. There was a videographer there. You know, there's this yeah, big there event. Yeah, promotion going right? on. And the self-proclaimed bandits kept crowding around this vid- videographer. And the guy's like, you know, they were getting was. in my face. They were wound up. He's like, it was very uncomfortable. I bet they were no- obnoxious as hell. Yeah, and he said that the only way to get them, get rid of them was to, like, stop filming and walk away. But before he stopped filming, Seth Cravens, the leader of the so-called Bird Rock Bandit, puts his face right up into the lens. He's like leaning into the lens going, yeah, we're the bird rock bandits. Uh, it's all about the PRB. And he's doing gang signs. What a bunch of fucking idiots. I know, right? And and then right after that, um, one of the other guys, Matthew Yankee, comes into the camera and so does Eric House. And they're all like, you know, doing their gang sign or whatever. BRB. Gang sign? Really? Yeah, they have this, I don't even know what it is. So BRB, be be right back? They, they do some <laughs> sort of B, I know, right? Oh, okay. Right? Okay, so... anyway they're dancing near their table on a packed jenny and emory are dancing this packed dance floor and they're by their table and they're just kind of like dancing there and he's holding his beer while he's dancing Mm -hmm. have you ever done that Uh, yeah all the time all the time time. we don't want to put your drink down you might get drugged or something you might get somewhat roofied right anyway those jackasses are probably the ones that would roofie somebody oh my god i mean i could be wrong no that's alleged but that's kind of like the type, isn't it? Of course. It's a stereotype, right yes. Good or bad, it happens. All right, so he's dancing, and some of his beer sloshes out of his cup onto Eric's house. It kind of gets Eric's shirt wet, and he gets super pissy. He's mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you did that on purpose, and Jenny said that Emery said, dude, it's fine, look, and he sloshed some beer on his own shirt. She said it wasn't intentional. She said it was an accident, um, but... Eric threatened to kick Emery's ass. It's like, dude, you're jealous, you know, whatever. You're jealous. I'm going to kick your ass. Well, Emery, we already know, he's not one to back yeah, down. he's not right? having that. Uh-uh. So he bows up at Eric. So this got the attention of the other members of the Bird Rock Bandits, and they're egging Eric on. Dude, you can kick his ass. So they're egging it on. Now, at this time, a bouncer stops by. He's like, dude, cut it out. Your friends, cut it out. And so they stop. But about 15 minutes later, it starts again. And the bouncer comes and it's like, that's it. Kawanui, you're out. And everybody's like, well, why are you throwing this guy out? Okay. Well, the bouncer later reported that there was a reason because he asked Kawanui to leave first because he's worried the others would wait for him in the parking lot if they were forced to leave first. And for good reason, we're going to get to later. Oh. So they made Kawanui leave since it was one of him, told Jenny, take him home. That was out very like insightful of that person. Yes. I mean, it was. We're gonna. I'm gonna tell you why later. Okay. So, 
Jenny drove Junior Boy in his car because he was in no shape to drive. He couldn't drive. And he's all... And Junior Boy is Emery, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, his friends call him Junior Boy. I mean, his mom, I know, and his brother call him Junior Boy. So sometimes I'll... Junior Boy, Emery, flying Hawaiian. Okay. He's pissed. Oh, I bet she's doing literally. her best to calm him down. She gets him home. She gets him inside. She's like, "Look, I've got to go get my car because I, I bet parked she's illegally." Irritated. I bet irritated. That's not a word. She might be irritated. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. Irritated and frustrated. Yes. Irritated. New word. Good word. Good word. <laughs> yeah, she is, and she's like, "Dude, just calm down. I, I've got to go get my car, and then I'll come back." Uh, now, I read that she had parked illegally. I don't know. Whatever the case is, she left him and jogged back from his house, from his mom's house to go get her car. As she's getting her car, she sees the Bird Rock Bandits getting into Yankee's SUV. And she's like, she's hearing Craven say, let's go fuck him up. Don't call him. I know where he lives. And she's like, dudes, no, stop. And she said Craven gave her a dead look and they got into the SUV and took off. So she runs inside Tells her friends, Emery's going to get jumped. And then she runs back out to her car and drives to Emery's mom's house. She calls 911 along the way because she knows it can't be good news. Right, because they sound like they have done this before. Yes. And they mean what they say and say what they mean, apparently. And they're bullies, right? Yep. So in the meantime, while they're driving to Kawanui's house, there's a cell phone conversation between Eric House and Kawanui. So... Emery knew that they were coming. So he bursts out the doors, taking his shirt off as he's coming out the door as they're pulling up. And then there's about three minutes of violence. So there's a big, huge fight between Emery and Eric House. And Kawanui had gotten the best of him for a minute because Eric House lost a tooth. We're going to come back to this tooth in a minute. But when Jenny rolled up, she saw Eric House straddling Kawanui like beating him in the face and so she runs over and she starts kicking and punching house and then the other guy Hank Hendrickson or Hendricks pulls her off of him so it looks like it's a bunch of people fighting right so there are a lot of neighbors watching there are other witnesses that are there and as many some of the neighbors said that there were as many as four young men pounding Kawanu with feet and fists. And the neighbors weren't trying to break it up or do anything Well, the neighbors about it? were yelling, but they were not going down there, no. Mm-hmm. And some of the other people had driven up after she said, oh, he's going to get jumped. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, it was over. And Kawanu, he managed to stand up. By the way, he had a, like, he was really drunk. He had a blood alcohol at 0.17 or something like that. He ends up standing up. And Eric House is looking for his tooth. So he's crawling on the ground looking for his tooth. And he stands up and he's kind of like in the street. There's a curb there. And Seth Cravens walks up. And Eric, I mean, Emery's like, dude, you fucking come to my house and do this. And the next thing um, that happens is that Seth Cravens, who's taller than Kalanui and, and outweighs him by 60 pounds, wow. sucker punched him from the curb. Hit him with his left. He's a right-handed guy. So uh-huh. the attorney's going to use this. Oh, he didn't hit him with his dominant hand. But he hit him so hard that he flew back. His head was like a bobblehead, and his head hit the concrete first. Oh. Um, well, it doesn't matter how hard you hit him. If they hit their head on the concrete and right. there's damage, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. It was instant blood. Like, they could hear the crack oh, of his no. head as he hit the ground. So it, he was bleeding instantly. At this point, they start seeing the blood 
All the guys, except for Eric House, who's still looking for his tooth, take off. The police arrive. They found. They find House. I still don't know if he ever found his tooth. He probably swallowed it. What would you do with your tooth if you found it on the ground? Do they? They don't just put it back in. Do I they? don't think so. Okay. Well, he's still there, and they end up arresting him. And maybe he already had a fake tooth, and he was trying to find his implant. Who knows? I'm sorry. Knows? I don't know. Okay. Eric House is arrested. The other guys get away. They take. Um, Kawanui to um, UC San Diego Medical Center where he's treated for bleeding in the brain, facial fractures, multiple contusions. And he was alert. He was talking. Now, wow, the that's next, amazing. Yeah, the next morning as word spread about the fight, um, these guys are calling their friends like, we're so scared. You know, he's hurt really bad his head. It's not our fault. And... Um, yeah, five against one. No, yeah. it's not your fault. And they insisted, Whatever. oh, we never meant to hurt him like that. Okay. Now... His mom, Cindy Kalanu, gets a call from the neighbor the next morning. And the neighbor's like, look, your son was taken to the hospital. There was a big fight outside your house. Mm. So she gets on a plane, comes back to California that evening. And she goes straight to the hospital. Oh, I bet the guilt. I bet she just feels like if I would have never left, well, you maybe know this wouldn't have happened. She does say that, but she also says that he made a bad choice by leaving the house that night. He made a bad, she said it was a, a bad decision for him. Now, she said that when he, when she visited him at the hospital... He was in good spirits. Like, he was talking. She said he was tired, you know. But he seemed normal. His face didn't seem too damaged. But all the damage was in the back of his head, which she didn't see. She ends up going to the cafeteria, and she's seething. She is pissed. Her son's about to go into surgery to release the swelling in his brain. His brain's swelling. And she decides she's going to call Craven's parents. So she gets the number from information. I mean, can you still call 411? I think so. I don't know. So she, she ends up calling the mom. She calls the mom and she says, my son's been badly beaten and your son did it. He might not live. And she said the mom's response was, oh, okay. Like, she's like, I don't know. She was in shock. She's used to hearing this information. Her son is like beating up on kids. I don't know. But, you know, now Cravens is worried. Like, everybody's really worried because Kawanui's in surgery. Things are not looking good. It sounds like he should be worried. Yeah. But... So, because of their what you've outlined and their behavior, it seems like this is not the first time they've been in a fight. So, it's probably not the first time mommy's gotten a call. Your son beat up so-and-so. Yes, it's interesting you say that. We'll get to that. Right? Okay. Um, even Cravens is really freaked out. So, he starts calling his buddies like, dude, what should I do? What should I, what should I do? And the guys are like, you know, dude, just chill out. Let's see what happens. You know, people are really pissed off. There's a lot of fury on the streets. Is the house guy still in jail? Yes. Okay. At this time, he is. So four days after the fight, Emory Kalanui is pronounced dead. So he dies. Did he die in surgery or? No, he did not die in surgery. He made it through surgery, but he was not getting better. So he was pronounced brain dead. And then he just died. Mm. Now this sent a wave of shock and rage through La Jolla and and the whole surfing community of San Diego. And people were pissed. I bet. And then the detectives show up at Craven's door. And the dad said, the dad said, come on in. We were expecting you. Now I want to talk about the dad for a minute because dad was arrested and charged with Ponzi scheme in Seth's middle school years. Okay. Okay. So he ended up going to prison and this is really when, you know, they're noticing a lot more fights coming out of the kid. Just Mm -hmm. angry, right? Mm -hmm. He said that Seth is just sick about this. He really didn't think he hurt him that bad. But, you know, this is a pattern of behavior for this kid. So, yeah. Mm. 
Look at that. So now all the Bird Rock bandits are in jail. They arrest all of them except for Hank Hendricks, who had flown back to New Hampshire. Oh, so he got his ass out of Dodge. He got him on a plane and he went back to school. Yes. And his attorney, uh, and we're going to get back to that because he's saying that he had permission to leave. Right. And we'll get back to that. Well, if they hadn't questioned him yet then they, he actually before he flew back went to the police station okay and the, and the police said right now it's you're you know it's fine meanwhile after after um emory dies they organize what is called a paddle out so this is in hawaii they do this paddle out where if a surfer dies they do this huge ceremony in the water over 300 surfers young and old showed up for this and they all took their boards, well, most of them took their boards out into the ocean and they felt formed a circle around the boat that um, Cindy Kawanui, Emery's mom and brother were on. And they, um, what, what you do is you like splash the water and then you hold hands, they clasp hands and they say a prayer and then she dumped the ashes. But at that point, you know, one guy, one organizer said, I saw a sense of unity we never had in La Jolla. And it was a small 9-11, and this occurred, this was on 9-11 when they did this ceremony. So it was at that time, like, wow, murder can't even reach here in paradise. When you say 9-11, you mean September 11th? Yes. But not, what year did this take? This 2007. was 2007, okay. but it was So it's the anniversary yes, of, okay. Yes. So it was already a so kind of like. poignant in many different ways. Yes. Now, somebody said that Emory was a religious guy. He spent Sundays in church. He always spoke about Jesus and the power of God. His younger brother, Nigel, uh, poured Junior's ashes into the sea, and he was laid to rest in a place he loved best. His mom said that Emory was a lover of the ocean and everything in the ocean. He spent hours in the water. And then within days, she and her son, Nigel, left La Jolla. They, they just couldn't stay there. They couldn't take the pain um, or the memories of the house. So they sold the house and moved to, back to Oahu. Okay, so we're going to pause now for a short sponsor break. After Kawanui's death, people are, they are outraged. I imagine so. Yeah, and the police are doing some investigations, but they're also receiving a lot of calls about the Bird Rock Bandits, especially Seth Cravens, Mm. uh, of terrorizing and assaulting. So here are just a few of the accusations, because you mentioned earlier that this obviously had gone on. So here are some of the things that the police found. Okay. So in 2002, when Cravens was 17, he punched a kid named Thomas Barrows as many as 20 times in the head. Holy crap. This caused jaw damage and hearing loss, and Barrows' mother pressed charges, but she dropped them because Cravens was sent to Hawaii. Now, his, he's a Samoan, American Samoan, half American Samoan. Okay. And he had family living in Hawaii, so his parents are like, this might mellow him out. Uh, no, I don't so, care. Yeah. He was in Hawaii for a year. He came back when he was 18, and it didn't mellow him out. Well, it probably pissed him off that he had to go live somewhere else. Well, not only that, but you know what? If somebody did that to my kid, I don't think I would drop charges. Absolutely not. No, she had, it it was about to go through the juvenile court system, and she's like, okay, he's out of town. He's not going to fuck with my kid anymore. Now, when he returns, there are court documents that allege he was involved in five more beatings when he came back to San Diego. Now, in one instance, he crashed the party of a 16-year-old girl, Lindsay Schneider, and when she asked him to leave, I'm sorry, not Lindsay, Libby, Libby, when she asked him to leave, he punched her. What? So he's not just punching guys, okay? He's sucker punching girls. 
and it hurt. He punched her in the chest and face really hard. And she called her dad. Her mom was out of town. Her dad was there. And the dad did not press charges because he worked somewhere else in California. They were, they were divorced. And he didn't want any kind of retaliation against his ex-wife and daughter. So they didn't press charges. Oh, the Bird Rock no. Bandits were also involved in an assault on New Year's Eve in 2006. And I'm going to get to later. And then two weeks before Kawanui's death, the Bird Rock Bandits were banned from the Shack Bar and Grill. This is where they used to go that had a lax ID policy. This was a popular night spot. They, would, um, they were banned for causing trouble and attacking and beating a patron bloody as he walked out to his car. So remember when I told you the bouncer made Kawanui leave first? That's yes. because it had already been known that Cravens and his crew would wait in the parking lot for whoever they started trouble with in the bar. Well, why were they even allowed to be there if they knew that these were the things that they did? They should have been banned to begin with. To me, that's like negligence. Yes. Well, the mom does end up trying to sue the bar. She does file a suit against the bar. I, I never found out the conclusion to that. Now, before he left for that night, no, I'm sorry, the next day after the fight at the bar Shack and Grill, Cravens posted on his MySpace that authorities, <laughs> um, that Bird Rock Bandits, May 10th, 2007 at 3.32 p.m. I can't go to the shack for a while because I murdered someone. Ha, ha, ha. No biggie. Call me up and let's get crunk. What a jackass. So he's um, he's saying the Bird Rock Bandits. He's like bragging about this. So homicide detectives use this as evidence to add a slew of assault, battery intimidation, and gang enhancement charges to the murder counts. Yep, that's what you get for naming yourself, you dum-dum. Okay, now in California, being a part of gang is serious business. Like uh, that's yeah. a serious offense because of the, you know, the gang violence that was going on. Well, now, I mean, even here, I went to high school with some... I went to high school with some guys who they had this group of friends and they called themselves they had a name for themselves and because they had a name for themselves and there was like 15 of them if they were seen together the cops would say this is gang activity and you need to right get out of here i think some of them were even had been arrested on you know because they were doing the same bullshit going right. and attacking people with baseball bats and just up, generally up to no good right now uh, criminal street gang violence is taken seriously everywhere. But in California, it was due to the Bloods and Crips in the 80s, the well, violence that's where in the it 80s, started, yeah. right? Uh, Tiki, Tuki. I have a book. Okay, yeah. Tuki William, what was his yeah. name? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, now, people did not believe the bird run. They thought it was ludicrous that these guys were considered a gang. But um, as the assistant district attorney said, she disagreed. She said that a gang is essentially an organization that terrorizes a community. She said that the Bird Rock Bandits were a group of three or more people that have a common symbol. They have a pattern of criminal activities. And this was a group of three or more. They, they wore colors. Now, the defense attorney said, yeah, they wore like, um, you know, like a high school t-shirt or something. Now, with that said, though, I knew some other people who went to a high school across town, and they used to always dress up in dress shirts and ties when they would go beat up people. Oh, well, that's classy. That puts a classier spin on the whole thing. I guess, but I mean, but it's saying, so they could have been classified that if they get, they have an attire. Yes. Now, there was also graffiti, intimidation, and so a gang affiliation actually adds 10 more years to each charge. Yeah, it's serious. Their families and friends said, now, 
the prosecutors could introduce the earlier cases of alleged violence. So now they can bring in things that had happened, you know, 2002, 2003, to prove that they were, um, they fit the d legal definition of a gang. Would that be mitigating factors? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. We need to look that up. So longtime locals laugh off the idea of the Bird Rock Bandits as a gang. So they dismiss it as, um, they dismiss it as they're just privileged bullies. La Jolla Do Nothing Club, as one surfboard shaper said. Now, their family, family and friends said that the gangster tag is wrong for a number of reasons. They, they, they were describing these boys as being rough, but other people said, no, they're gentle and caring, whatever. That's what they always say when someone goes off and does something right. like insane. They're like, oh, we would have never expected it from this person. Well, that's what you, that's what they always say. And there was also outrage too, because, you know, if, if they were black and lived in a different area, it wouldn't be uh, this argument. No. So it turned yeah. into a, a big issue. The guy, the one guy said, and I think it was an African-American, one guy said, yeah, they're not a gang. They're just gangsta chic. <laughs> They're just a, um, a group of drunken bullies who didn't really surf, is what another guy said. So, you know what? Who knows? I don't know if they were jealous or not, but the judge had to determine whether or not it was gang violence. And he said, no, they're not a gang. It's not a gang. In the typical sense, what you think right, gang. Right, right. So that charge wasn't there, but they were still allowed to bring in those previous... Right. Previous... But is that stereotyping gangs? Is there really... Or a certain race of people yeah, I, think, I think that was that. an argument but they did not fit the only person who really had any kind of like gang tags or anything like that was seth cravens okay it wasn't something that the other boys had out there you know he is the one that was trying to make it into this trying thing. to make yes. it something look at us we're badasses right okay, now gotcha. he was the seth cravens was called the alpha male of this group of guys so pretty much what he said everybody else did he bullied he was, them. Yeah. And he was the second youngest of 14 kids. Okay. Well, Jesus loves He me. Um, and his family lived in Mount Soledad, which is an exclusive hilltop area in La Jolla. He was getting suspended from middle school for fighting while his siblings were, were building their future. So, you know, everybody before him, all the siblings were, were successful. His sister, Sarah, says that her parents never made excuses for him. They just said that ultimately the child's going to do what he's going to do. So That sounds like know. an excuse. Yeah, I'm not sure how much, you know, discipline he got. Oh, let's just send him to Hawaii. Wish somebody would just send me to Hawaii. Yeah, me too. Now, some people, let's see where I am here. Okay. Some people came out and said, you know, he's, he's sweet. He's just mixed up. Some people spoke up for Eric House. Like, for example, the mother of his girlfriend said that if he has any fault, it's that he's too good of a person. But prosecutors were unmoved. Even Hank Hendricks, who was the kid that was the backup quarterback for uh -huh. UNH, was arrested. Um, even though he didn't hit Kawanui, he... He didn't do anything to stop it. He did, And he pulled the girlfriend off when she was trying to stop it. So he also was charged with... Um, with restraining her and leaving the scene and he was arrested with the same charges as the others to murder yeah now his attorney says that well the, the day after Kawanui's died Hendricks voluntarily talked to the police and the district attorney investigators and his lawyers said that Hendricks was assured that he wouldn't be arrested so that's why he went back to school 
He was an honor student in high school. He received an athletic scholarship to the University of New Hampshire. He was a junior with a business major. Uh, he was a football team's reserve quarterback. He was, um, now, with because of this incident, he was suspended from college and he was kicked off the team. Oh, mm-hmm. boo-hoo. Yeah. Um, so his arrest... You ruined your own life, yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean... That's right. And his arrest raised, raised questions about the gangster charges. Like, this is clearly not a gangster. Gotcha. Uh, his supporters say he was a potentially valuable witness, and that's why they, they put this charge on, you know, for credibility purposes. He had letter, letters were flooding in um, into the court from family members, friends, business executives, teachers, who were saying that he he's only guilty of picking bad friends. And I bet he probably hung out with a totally different type of crowd of people back at college. Maybe. Oh. So um, Doug Flutie, who's a former quarterback for the San Diego Charger, Chargers, kind of took this kid as a mentor. He was a mentor to this kid you know, from high school up. And he's like, there is no way. This is like, this is one of the most upright young men I've ever met. Hmm. Clearly not. Yeah. Um, he said that Hank has always been a model citizen. He has no history or reputation for violence. He has never been affiliated with any gang of any kind and has no criminal record. Hank Hendricks is an exemplary young man who is someone I would be proud to have as a son. Now, a spokesman for the district attorney said that Hendricks and the others were charged because prosecutors believe that they can prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And he says that, um, I mean, he still didn't do anything to stop this from happening. Well, not only that, but there's a pattern that's been established here. Like I said, on New Year's Eve, all five men accused in Kalanui's death, Craven's house, Asuno Yankee and Hendricks were among a group that tried to crash a party at 1 a.m. They were stopped at the door and Cravens and Hendricks allegedly started swinging. One man told police that he, that Hendricks opened a gash in his head that needed stitches and another recalled being sucker, sucker punched, then falling to the ground when he was kicked in the head and standing over him was Cravens who allegedly warned, I'm going to kill you. Jesus Christ. So, this kid needed some therapy, man. Well, and so even Hendricks was involved in that. Yep. It's. The intruders bolted before police arrived, and Hendricks said, well, I didn't want to explain why I had blood on my hands. That's why he left. I just want to say that this is a big, huge issue. The guys were charged with murder. It turned out that four, Eric House, Matthew Yankee, Orlando Asuno, and Hank Hendricks pled guilty to lower charge involuntary manslaughter. I'm sorry, Hank Hendricks did not, but the other three, Eric House, Matthew Yankee, and Orlando Asuno pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter, and they served jail time. Okay. Hank Hendricks pled guilty to accessory after the fact, and he had he got two years of probation. Seth Cravens did not plead guilty. He wanted to take it to trial. Well, of course he did. And he ended up, uh, they ended up finding him guilty, and he got 20 years to life. Good for him. He takes it to court later, and it goes up to the district court of California, the next court up, and uh-huh. they said that it should not have been murder secondary murder it should have been like voluntary manslaughter so it's because they weren't trying to kill him right they weren't there because the it was just a fight they said it was just a fight and the fact that the kid died on bus's head was not intentional so it got dropped to if i was drinking and driving my intent isn't to drive head on to someone and kill someone but it happens and you go so the charge was reversed to to manslaughter involuntary manslaughter However, 
The prosecutor said, hell no. So they took it to the California Supreme Court, Good. who reversed that again and said, yes, it was intentional. There's a pattern. He has done this since middle school. It was intentional. Whether or not he hit with his left hand instead of the, the dominant right hand, he has had a pattern of sucker punching people. Yeah. So he is not eligible for parole until 2026. Now, on another note, the three, Eric House, Matthew Yankee, and Orlando Suna, they pled guilty, they served their time, uh-huh. and they did have conditions of, pro, of their release. So they okay. weren't allowed to hang out together, they weren't supposed right. to go to bars, they weren't supposed to smoke pot. Well, guess what? Uh, they did. They hung out together, they smoked pot, they went to bars. And so they were, um, they were jailed again for violation of probation, served a little bit more time. Okay. And then Eric House, again, was arrested for um, domestic violence. So that was uh, violation of, of probation. He was. Yes. So you know, I'm not sure where these guys are now, but you know, a, a no pattern good, of bullying probably. and murdering, and a potential, a guy who had the potential of making a change in the world died. Yeah. So, and they should be under the jail. Yes. So very sad. Oh, that's sad. Uh, yeah. Sucks. Did anything say where the girl is? The girlfriend? Um, no. But listen, she. She's married now and yeah. I mean she went on with her life. I'm yes, sure that was pretty yes. hard. So anyway, that's it for today. All right. Well thank you very much. That was interesting. So subscribing and reviewing our podcast is ex- is essential to our success. So guys, please help us help push us up the charts. Uh, if you can take a moment to um, on your favorite platform, give us a five star rating. And while you're there, leave a comment letting us know which murder intrigues you. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Yes, thank you. And we are so grateful to spend our Friday nights together to share our murderous stories. Thank you again for listening and supporting us. We love you. And we again would like to thank our very first Patreon supporter, Shannon Kelly. She is the extra. You too can become one of our beloved Patreon supporters. If you'd like, if you would like to support us a little further, please visit patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. If you like what you heard, especially if you're an Apple listener, please give us a five-star rating and leave a comment about your favorite murder. Thanks guys. And remember, it wasn't me.